American dream is not dead. Listen to Neil and Jeff share their leadership experiences through a new kind of leadership podcast. This is The American Hustle. I'm leveled up. And this is my world Good morning, afternoon, evening, wherever, however you are listening to us. Welcome to the American Hustle, where we believe the American dream is not dead. This is a podcast all about leadership, entrepreneurship, and business with and through your heart. My name is Neil Simpson, and I am joined with our producer, uh, Jeff Shermani, the Italian stallion. Right. And uh, we are back after a slight hiatus. And you may or may not recognize that in the uploads yourself. But we've had a busy couple weeks. And uh, for our parent company, traveled just outside of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, did a, a three day weekend event out in the sun. And uh, Jeff took, uh, you know, initiative and brought his his camper down, which is a super cool story from a from our other podcast, but I thought it was super neat. And I want to recognize uh, through this podcast is just how popular the Italian stallion was <laughs> and, and people wanting to, you know, talk a little bit about production, about the podcasts and, uh, and obviously about his camper. So kudos to you. It was a good weekend, Thanks. right? That was fun. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and uh, I can tell you that I had a listener actually tell me that they recognized we missed a week and they they were disappointed. Yeah, so I, we are back. We're bringing it back, uh, following up on that conversation that we did not make it through with customerology. Uh, so, you know, first off, please take a moment. Give us a five star rating, like, subscribe, give us a review, whatever you need to do there. We're excited to see those things pop up uh, as far as customerology goes. We were talking about using uh, psychology to increase sales while also improving the customer experience. Yes. And that's we kind of left off talking about uh, certain words and phrases that you should avoid and the mimic technique. So we're going to go into some more talking points on that this week. Keep on moving through that process. So, so incredibly valuable to you building your brand and lifelong customers. That's one of my things I've always, always said is that I will... 110% of the time uh, work towards creating a longitudinal relationship with our customer base uh, versus uh, what I call a one and done. And so yep. ultimately you could, you know, uh, do a big job and, and uh, write a very large purchase order or repair order, whatever it might be in your industry. And yeah, you rake in a bunch of cash, but if that customer is unsatisfied and they never come back and they don't recommend you to somebody else, that, that's not going to benefit your business ever, right? So I want long-term customers. I want you to feel part of this family uh, as our business is. And uh, and that starts with a lot of this customerology, right? That long-term yes. customer will return tenfold. Yep. Cool. So what are we starting with, Jeffrey? I think we're going to talk about perception of choice. Ooh, absolutely. That's a fantastic one. So I, I know that you like to use perception of choice. Yes. So I, I want you to describe what that yeah. means to you. So and I, and I will start with one of those like unique little things that I truly genuinely believe at my core uh, differentiated uh, myself at a very early age was the phrase people only believe what they perceive. Okay. And this was something uh, that I arrived at, at, a, at honestly a very young age. And it talks about our perceptions. Okay. And 
the reality is that we all bring our perceptions, which is the lens that we look at a situation uh, to each and every conversation. So everything we do as an individual, we have to focus and say, what is our perception? What is the bias that we approach this transaction, this conversation, this uh, belief system, whatever it is? And we have to recognize that uh, all the things that we have done up until this very moment in our lives affects our perception of a situation. Yes. And, and again, that is the lens at which you look at a particular uh, situation, right? And so that the perception is just this lens that you're looking out into the world. And the perceptions affect positive and negative outcomes, right? Yes. And so the perception of choice is the idea that we are guiding a customer – uh, to make or choose between a couple things that ultimately we want them to choose. Correct. Okay. Now that's that sounds that sounds a little little harsh. And right now, this is one of our our biggest kind of customerology pieces, right? And you might say, Neil, this sounds a little bit like manipulation. And it is and technically we, we, and, and it is technically right. And manipulation doesn't have to be bad. Correct. Right. Because ultimately uh, what I'm going to share with you all to help, uh, you know, help conceptualize this idea. And I want to start right away with how is it not bad? Right. Because I'm going to talk. I'm going to go back to that customer who everything they bring to this table to this point creates that lens, creates that perception. So as an automotive business, uh, which is our first and for foremost activity uh, from our parent company, there are many people who by the time they arrive to us for services or sales have had very poor automotive experiences with other garages, dealerships, maintenance businesses, or retail experiences in the automotive industry. So that poor experience, that, that time that they went in and they paid a bunch of money and they didn't get a job uh, that they thought they were paying for, they didn't get the part they thought they were paying for, or they got told, oh, you're just making that up, that, that noise isn't there, or you know, when it shuts down on you on the side of the highway, well, you must have done something, right? Those are negative experiences that that person has received up to this point. Yes. And they bring that baggage into our facility when they come in for the first time. They have no idea who we are. They have no idea our integrity, our thorough processes, and our sincere interest in, in seeing them fulfilled in their automotive experience. Correct. Right? So they come in with negative baggage. We have all this positive you know, affirmation. And I like to think of it as a freight train moving forward. Right? Yep. The SFJ, the difference, the SFJ difference is this freight train moving forward of, of just unshakable positivity. And ultimately that person coming in with all of that negative experience, they're looking for us to be negative to them. Correct. So the perception of choice in the most positive way possible, that manipulation, but positively is to, to meet that customer where they're at. Yes. For, to help them recognize that, yes, you have had valid experiences. And, and so ultimately we're going to give you several choices to help you be part of the process. Yep. And we're going to give you a choice that's at that level 
that makes you feel comfortable from those negative experiences you've had before. So we're going to give you a, a value or an economy choice. Yep. Right. That value or economy choice meets the customer where they're at because in that in the past they paid too much and they got too little. Yep. Right. So we're we're going to meet them where they're at. We're going to give them that perception of choice that hey, we can do an economy process for you or an economy part, and that's going to meet you at your budget. Yep. But then hey, we're going to give you what we think is uh, what you and I internally call the medium popcorn. Yep. Right. We're going to give you the medium popcorn. And that's going to be the choice that arguably, uh, of course, in the medium and the large, uh, that's that's kind of a movie theater talk. I want them to choose the medium. Right. Right. Uh, the movie theater wants you to choose the large, I believe. Correct. Right. So we're going to give you that middle choice. That's going to be what I call the value added experience. Yeah. And that's going to be, you know, up from the economy choice. But you're going to have the repair made adequately. It's going to ensure the integrity of our business and the service that we provide. Yep. And it meets at a happy medium between the customer's ex experience and ours. And then finally, we have the extra large popcorn or the large popcorn, depending, right? We have that. Yep. that. And for us, it's not that we're raking in a ton of cash at that, at that, that top tier. Yeah. It's that we're giving them a optimized experience. It's not the experience that everybody needs. Needs It's going to be focused on finite minutia, things that make us uniquely us, the matrix that we see about how a vehicle or a customer's experience will play out. Yep. And we look into our magic crystal ball and we create that in that top tier option. So now we've given our customer the perception of choice, right? Realistically, we want them to choose the middle option. Yep. And through customerology and talking points, we're going to try and draw them to the middle option. Yeah. It's not the most expensive one, but it is going to be more expensive than economy. Yep. And realistically, it's not going to be as good as the optimized option at the top tier, but it's going to be more budget friendly and value added. Yes. And they're going to get the best experience from choosing that middle one. Correct. And so that is ultimately what we say is the perception of choice. Now, the choice is always ultimately the customers. Correct. And that is the most important thing. And so all too often, uh, the, the phrase that I say is we can only lead a horse to water. Yep. And for those of you who are not familiar with that old cliche, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. Correct. Right. So if that customer at the end of the day insists on the economy priced package, then we do that. We're still happy to do that. And we're still happy. And and what's really important for us is that as a business owner, uh, you who's listening now or a person who's organizing on a committee who's understanding this tiered choice uh, or perception of choice process, you have to ensure that your integrity is met as a provider yes. at each level. Correct. Regardless Right. And that's not about financial gain necessarily. That's what is really the biggest difference behind behind the motivation of perception of choice. It's not about financial gain. It's about long term return. Correct. And it's long term return for us as a business because of the satisfaction our customer will experience. Yes. That is a ton of information. And I, I we covered a lot of deep concepts. <laughs> right. And I'm. I'm working very hard. You can't see me, but I'm actually beating with sweat because I'm trying to make sure because I'm so 
I'm so passionate about this concept because it's not negative. It's not negative manipulation. It's positive manipulation, which is sounds weird. And I'm going to talk about the way it's actually used psychologically throughout retail. Okay. Um, I have a couple different talking points. The first one I'm just going to talk about was a psychological study they did on specifically the perception of choice. Okay. They use salad dressing. Mm. Right now, you go into any market, you're going to find a million different types of salad dressing, a million brands, whatever. It's, yes. it's a whole aisle just full of different ones. Yes. So there was a question about- So many salad dressings, there was right? A, there was a question about that. Is that too many choices and is it actually confusing consumers? Yes. I have seen this study. This is a great one. And so they, they literally went down to just three dressings. Yes. Put an entire full of just three different choices. They sold more dressing with just three choices than they did from an entire aisle during the same length of study. Yes. And, and you know what's interesting is that our local hometown grocery store has employed this. And I think it's so interesting because I wanted to wait until you kind of talk that through. Because our hometown grocery store, I was surprised recently. I went in to buy dressing and there was literally like three of each variation. Yeah. Right? Three different Italians. I was like – I was looking – for the the Walmart aisle, yes. right? I was looking for the Sam's Club, the 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 huge box store plethora of dressings. They weren't there. I basically had three choices for Italian dressing. Yep, you know, and ranch and French, and it was like three different brands, and then each brand might have had one or two types. You know what I mean? But that was it. I did not have lots of choices. Yeah, I still bought dressing, and ultimately, I think I bought one of the more expensive ones. So let me guess. It was about mid-level of the shelf. I, I love Oh, it. how do you know, Jeffrey? <laughs> so that's the next part of it is when marketing, uh, retail stores are going to put their most profitable items at eye level. Yes. Because it's going to be the first thing you see. I, that, is, that is true. Now, ultimately, uh, I, as a consumer, uh, so I talk from my own personal experience, I had some at waist height. So I'm very conscious of this, right? Yeah. And so, again, from a very early age, the customerology utilized uh, the actual statistical stuff through yeah. department stores, right? Oh, I've yeah. always been really fascinated by it. And so I'm very aware of it when I go to, you know, department store, grocery shopping type uh, scenarios. And with that said, I really fancy myself. I'm, I must be just mainstream bell curve, you know, average American consumer because I am typically buying uh, in the strike zone, yes. right? And that's what I like to call it, that's, in the strike zone. That's literally how it's referred to in yes. a lot of retail environments. Yes, absolutely, right? And so I, I'm constantly in that range. And in the strike zone, in this latest uh, salad dressing shopping experience – I was dissatisfied with the the pricing. Yes. Okay. Because I did not, I'm I'm conditioned to get uh, economy pricing from these bigger box stores. Yep. And oftentimes I'm buying a generic line. There were no generics available. Oh. I thought that was really yep. fascinating. But again, this is a hometown grocery store. Yeah. And I'm looking at I under I recognize curtain certain uh, and current socioeconomic issues. So I recognize that there is uh, inflation and limited supply and so on and so forth. And I looked in the strike zone and I was dissatisfied with the pricing and I went, I'm going to spend the extra 75 cents and get the more expensive option because it's what I want. Yes. So the, the perception of choice was there. Yep. And ultimately I said, you know what? What's seventy five cents if I'm already paying you know four fifty for a bottle? Yep. What's 
five twenty nine at this point. Yep. And so I bought the large popcorn. The large popcorn. <laughs> I went, you know, as a consumer. Yep. So even even though you might be aware of this, you're listening to this. It doesn't mean that we're any less uh, affected by it. It's yeah. just the reality of how we make choices. And it doesn't mean it has to be negative, and that's the biggest piece. So I, I am going to tell you how the Walmart model is so successful with that. Uh, how's that? So they use the opposite. Okay. The, their perception of choice is to confuse you. Mm. Because statistically speaking, your brain gets tired the more choices it has to make. Mm. So where do they put the stuff that you know you need? The uh, milk. The back of the store. The back of the store. Yes. Because they want you to have to walk, walk by and make way. multiple choices yeah. to not grab impulse things. Yes. By the time you get to the back, you've started grabbing impulse things because your brain's tired. Right. It's just like point of purchase uh, products. Correct. You know, that uh, if you're not familiar, folks, the stuff that is situated in the aisles and at the, you know, at the checkouts, that's there intentionally. And I try to encourage my kids when they, they see that and become distracted by that. I try to to you know share with them that hey we we don't need that um, because that's actually intentionally set there mm-hmm. to you know to confuse you and to satiate impulsivity. Correct. Right. And it goes a step further though because if you have ever noticed, there's always something you can't find in Walmart. It's not where you think it should be. <laughs> that's done intentionally. Yeah. Because again, it confuses your brain. It makes you think harder. And your choices become less and less uh, meaningful. Sure. They, interesting. You get more impulsive choices. Yeah. It's interesting because I hear a lot of stores when you check out, they say, did you did you find everything all right? Yes. You know? Uh, it's interesting to... That's be, a last-ditch effort to upsell you? I think so. Yeah. That's it, a, it that's absolutely a customerology. Is. Yes. You know, to if you that's, were Do you want confused, fries with that? Yeah. It is that last piece and it is also why uh after we do our consults my last thing that i always say is what questions do you have for me yep not do you have any questions for me yep i say what questions do you have that's that open-ended question again yes. that we talked about yes. earlier in the, uh, and, the last episode of and this. i think that is critical uh both in in the upsell but also in providing a quality customer experience because if that person did genuinely come in mm-hmm to whatever box retail store it was yes. and they needed uh, a certain bag of chips. And I don't, I don't know, you know, maybe that's what it is. And they get up to the aisle and they've already got 10 things in their arms that they didn't plan on buying. And they're dissatisfied because, well, I just actually came in for this bag of chips. Yep. And now I'm left feeling empty. Yep. Cause they didn't get the chips. Cause they didn't get that bag of chips. Yep. Right. And that person says, well, did you find it? No, I didn't find this bag of chips. That is the perfect opportunity. The, the perception is, is primed at that point because two things are going to happen. One, the associate, the sales associate is going to say, oh, I know where that's at and can get that bag of chips. Yep. And now that customer is left. Leave, they're leaving on a high note because they have been fulfilled by the store's process, right? The Both the availability and the sales associate. Or that associate, if they are vested in what they do, they can suggest an alternative. Yes. And they can say, I really wanted this bag of chips. Uh, and the associate says, you know what? We don't have those, but have you tried this brand? It's, I heard it's very similar. Yeah. And boom, customer is still left feeling fulfilled 
the store has provided uh, their transaction, you yep. know, as far as what they're supposed to do as a, as a service provider, and the associate has created a sale. And it's a win-win-win yes. in that regard. Uh, it's when we get into aggressive, you know, and aggressive sales techniques and aggressive manipulation. And that's what I want to differentiate folks. That's why I started talking about exactly what our perception of choice is. Yes. Because there is a fine line. It's a balancing act. It's a it balancing act. Always comes act. back to balance. Correct. Because there are people out there right now, uh, industries out there, um, and I'm going to talk about a negative experience that I had. Yeah. Uh, of perception of choice. And uh, so years ago, my wife and I uh, were living in a, in a different area and uh, we were at a home show that they always have at the convention centers, yeah. right? And we're all over the country of the world. They have these home shows, right? In the convention center. And you walk up and down the aisles and there's different home service providers. And we signed up for a free consultation. So first of all, nothing is actually free. Correct. Right? So we signed up for a free consultation. We give them our information for uh, home waterproofing, basement waterproofing. So do you have water in your basin? Nah, not really, but we don't have a sump pump and we do have a walkout basement and there's more moisture than we'd like, you know, that kind of yeah. stuff. So maybe we'll get that, uh, you know, checked out. They immediately call us a very thorough and they said, Hey, can we set up uh, an opportunity to come out and, uh, and meet with you? I said, Absolutely. They had the most interesting specific request that came off. It came off as a request, but ultimately it was a demand. Yes. Right? That was fascinating because I was very turned off by it. And they uh, – so I'm going to say demand, but they were requesting, right? So this was – it was thinly veiled. It was a yeah. thinly veiled request. It was not that good. And he said, You're, it, it has to be husband and wife there. Uh, who's on, the, who's on the, uh, the mortgage? Who's, you know, who's on the mortgage? Who's on the home deed? You know, uh, it was, okay, well, my wife and I, okay, well, we want you both to be there. Oh, that was really strange. They pushed hard. And in fact, we actually couldn't have uh, a shared time frame. And they put off, they rescheduled and put off coming to our facility or to our house. I thought that was really strange. You yeah. know, at first I was, I was, I was like, I, I can, I can make those decisions or my wife can make those decisions. And that was actually the key right there is they actually wanted my wife. Mm -hmm. I thought that was fascinating because they're of the mentality that they were going to sell the home improvement to the wife. Correct. And they made that unfortunately very clear. Uh, and my wife and I as a new age couple feel very strongly that, you know, we are equilateral in those large home decisions. Absolutely. And so there's really not a need to hard sell uh, my wife in this process. When they do eventually come out, they do a big walk around and uh, it's the very high pressure sales situation. Yep. I thought that was very fascinating. Again, uh, my wife and I being you know hyper alert to this turned off, but the guy was super likable. Yes. And I think that that's what's really strange about some of these hard sell environments is that oftentimes that sales individual especially one who's doing home calls is actually very likable but very well versed in the hard sell they're known as sharks totes right i'm with you totally so that the hard sell is a, a technique that is great for generating quick business yes it is not sustainable and it is not long term there is a a curve that shows your sales 
will peak as a shark and then either plateau and plummet yep. or just be done. Where if you use a customer service-based selling technique, which is what we use here at SFJ, your curve just continues to increase as you add more and more referral business. Yes. Because a referral business is what keeps a, a company going. And we're going to circle back to sharks here in a second, right? Because there is a minor way to make it successful with sharks. And that's from me. That's coming from my uh, look in, the voyeuristic look in on the sales community. So I'm, I'm going to counter that and say that curve still stops eventually because you're going to run out of customers. Well, so that's that's. So hold on a second. Let's finish with my story. Yep. And we'll come back yep. to sharks, right? Last piece of this is they hit us with a huge service uh, bill. One that was just uh, kind of outrageous. Yeah. And we were like, absolutely not. We're, we're not. we're not here for it. And they said, okay, well, let us know if you're going to change your mind. We have these financing options available. We can help, you know, we can help source these options, blah, blah, blah. Said, okay, thank you, but no thank you. Three days later, they call back. Uh, we actually have a manager coming through your area. He actually had a cancellation appointment. He'd like to stop in and meet with you guys. Is your, is your wife and you available? Well, no, we're not. Why is your manager all of a sudden coming through? Right. You know? Um, and so we, we put that off. Uh, about three days later, they call back and say, oh, you know what? We actually found you a discount on this. We got a material goods uh, shipment. We have excess. We're going to knock off 1500 bucks. They tried to give us our coupon. Yeah. The, the, the cell kept growing in their process, whether they were trying to bring other people in, which is a little bit of that shark conversation, yep. where they were trying to get another individual in to close the deal. Yep. Additionally, they were trying to dangle carrots in front of us yep. with different discounted rates. Eventually, I remember this went on for legitimately like three to five months. And I remember kind of getting harsh with them at the three-month mark and, and just being like flat out, I never want to work with you guys because I think you're a bunch of con artists. Yeah. I recognize that you have all this reputable uh, reviews and other processes available. But I can see through what you're doing. Yep. So I kind of have this negative, uh, you know, experience. I, you know, in my mind, I tell off this individual. Now, it's really valuable about me is I recognize people's. Typically, I recognize their voices on the phone. I spend yeah. a lot of time on the phone. So I know that the woman who called me and I kind of was very firm and direct and was like, "Hey, I think you're a bunch of con artists." Calls me at the five month mark, and I vividly remember this. Because I was out working, uh, I was actually doing an outside rescue for you know for our, our parent company, and I was doing a part, and I was I was in the middle. I was, you know, I was fully invested. But the phone rang, and it was an out of the area number, and I wanted to close the sale on this phone number. And I pick up the phone, and it's the same woman, and she is acting as if we've never spoke before. Oh, geez. And she gives me the same line that the manager has reviewed our thing. And I'm it's five months ago yes. that you were at my space, yep. uh, my home. And yeah, the manager doesn't even know about your account No, at this point. manager doesn't know about my account. Get the heck out of here, yeah. you know? And at that point in time, they were almost half, half of what their original quote to do our job was. And I just think to myself, and I, I was like, I, I literally said, if you would have come to me with this half quote that you can clearly do the job for five months ago, my wife and I would have paid for the service. Yeah. 
but you didn't. No. You came at me with with like eighteen thousand dollars. Yeah. To do this remediation that wasn't actually required. Right. And if you would have come at the nine to ten thousand dollar mark, we, we actually might have done it. Yeah. But you didn't. And yep. then you tried to use every process in the book, the hard sell in the book. Yep. Right. So that was my negative experience with perception of choice because they tried to give us the, the that perception uh, with some different options and in the process of building out the job. It said, oh, really, you need this eighteen thousand dollar job. Right. And then they just hard sell, hard sell, hard sell from there. The last piece with the shark issue is kind of what they did, and I've certainly experienced with other customers, is they flip around their personnel. So yes. to say that they do eventually uh, depreciate how much this, they saturate the customers that they can reach, I agree with you in that statement. I'm just saying in that moment, they switch around personnel oh, with yeah. the account. And that's the only way that I've seen some of these hard sell companies get away with it is – all of a sudden, you have a new rep. What happened to my old rep? What happened to the guy who was just calling me? And, and oftentimes, know? the old rep is still there. They just, they, hey, buddy, I can't get this account to close. Why don't I take that one for you? You take this one for yes. me. And boom, it's done. Yes. Now, I got to ask, with that whole story, uh, one of the biggest negative impacts on perception of choice is the the most most utilized way of using perception of choice in a negative manner is fear factor. Did mm -hmm. they use the fear factor? Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, our foundation was going to fall in on yep. us. Uh, it would, you know, we would have no market value in the home. Uh, you know, one day we're going to go down there and, and because we didn't have a sump pump, even though the house is, you know, 50, 60 years old, never had a sump pump. Yep. One day we're going to go down there and the water's going to be three feet high. Uh, absolutely fear mongering, you know, sales tactics. Yep. And, and I think it's important that when you're dealing with customers, you educate them properly and that there could be dangers to their to their house or their foundation, their vehicle, whatever it is. There yes. could be dangers and you do have to educate that on it. But if your entire premise of closing that sale is based on that fear, yes, you're doing it wrong. Yes. And and ultimately I felt like in our conversation, our initial consult uh, within the first couple, you know, communications with them. They absolutely tried to pull that out early on in the process. Oh, yeah. You know, and I was just, again, looking through what they have to say, going, this 50, 60 years, we've not had a sump pump in this house. Um, there's already French drains. There's already extra drainage on the property. Now, of all, is not going to be the time where we're going to come downstairs and have three feet of water. Correct. You know, uh, totally fear mongering. Oh, yeah. So very, very fascinating stuff. Sometimes, as I relate it back to uh, our processes and our differences, uh, it's very, very critical that I talk about our internal process is to educate, to document, and then make the customer happy. Yes. Right? And so those are, those are legitimately, wouldn't you say that's legitimately the mantra that we repeat Absolutely. over and over again internally? At no point in time, uh, because ultimately, we literally say, make the customer happy. Correct. Right? Because that's what matters. Because that's what matters. Not make the customer satisfied that they're not going to die in their vehicle. Not, you know, uh, terrified and, and now they feel a sense of relief. Yes. Happy. Right? How, how critical is that for our approach to say that that's literally in one of our primary talking points? Yes. Now, that is the third in the education, right? An education should be done without bias, is my opinion. So we're not trying to add fear or 
jubilation necessarily. We're saying, hey, this is this is what we know works and how we can go about that process. Correct. And then the documentation. And that's how we get around. Uh, so that three-part process is how is is how we can validate the perception of choice. Correct. Because that's our foundation. And then we use perception of choice from there. Well, and I think what's what's very valuable is if you use perception of choice in the correct way, and it's going to tie into the next talking point here, but if, if you use perception of choice in the right way, you understand the customer's needs Yes. Probably better than they do because yes. you know the market better. Absolutely. Because we're the experts. Because right? we're, we're the experts. Yes. So you have to understand their needs and you're going to add that value to them. That perception of choice uh, tied with the assumptive close, which I'm going to talk about in a minute, is oftentimes going to bring that customer back thanking you for talking them into 100%. the additional things. 100%. And I, I love that. Be yes. Because if you're doing it uh, as, as a shark and you're just – a making them fear everything, they're not satisfied after that sale. No. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, you're helping them see what the value in right. the additional items, Yes. then they're going to be more satisfied as a customer. They're going to thank you for that later because they wouldn't have initially done that if you hadn't told them about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. And that's what is part of that long-term customer base, right? Correct. We're here for the long run, not the one and done. Correct. And that's so valuable. And I want to just circle back before we get to the assumptive close and say that when I said we're the experts, I mean you, the listener, are the expert of the service that you provide. Yes. Right? And so, again, these concepts are not just in the retail environment. They can be working with on a committee or an organization, but they are heavily retail-based. Yep. But they they span all walks of life, right? Yes. And it's just that ultimately in the retail environment, we invest oftentimes more time and money in kind of statistically focusing these inf this information versus maybe the church committee that's looking to grow their mission outreach. That's not to say that this still doesn't work for you. This does work for you. Oh, yeah. Right? Uh, you don't have to exactly be selling a tangible good. You don't have to have dressing on the shelf at the grocery store. Yep. These processes still work for you. And again, it's it's that that motivation in the process and not to say that, uh, you know, the, your fellow parishioners are your customers, but the overall process is the same. Correct. So I just want to make sure we made that clarification because we're not just the experts. Everyone who's listening is the expert in what their initiative the, is. Correct. And so with assumptive closing, um, the way that that ties in, and I'm just going to, I'm going to relate back to furniture sales. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was selling a dining room set, uh, if I had a customer with family or whether they talked about having guests over once in a while and they're looking at a dining room set that can eventually add up to eight chairs, mm -hmm. but it is initially sold with four. Yes. And they're thinking about going with just the initial four. When I would close that sale, I'd say, so did you want to go with six or eight chairs with us? Sure. I assume that they were going to upgrade the chairs. Now, they didn't always go with the eight. But oftentimes they went with six. Yes. So that I've got two additional chairs out of that sale. Yes. So I've increased the the commission on the sale. But I've also increased their positive experience because now they're not trying to find other chairs from the house when they have guests over. That is the worst. And if it's a couple years later and you didn't buy the, the, the two additional. You can't the find the matching chair. I can't find the matching chairs. Right. That's the worst. Yep. That's that's. And, and unfortunately, in that moment, if we're making strictly a budgetary choice, if yep. if. We present it as a budgetary issue yep. as the as a provider. Uh, then 
you know, the customer is going to make a budgetary choice. Right. If we present it as a value added experience, they will perceive it as a value added experience. Correct. And I got to be honest, I love the idea of the six or eight because maybe they don't need eight, but six will get the job done. Correct. You know, but you have to give them. Uh, and unfortunately, I do call this the Trojan horse. You do have to give them that bigger number, uh, that bigger aspect of the build or the job or whatever. Not to say that those eight chairs wouldn't be ideal. Right. They're ideal. They match. They're comfortable. They're quality product, whatever it is. But the customer has to go, hey, do I want eight or ten chairs? Nah, I don't need that many. But you know what? Six would make sense. I could put them in the corners of the room. And then when I do have, you know, two more guests over. Correct. Everybody's sitting nicely around the table. That's, and that's exactly it. And with the assumptive close, you're not saying, do you want to buy this set? That's no. a yes, no question. Right. You're more likely to get a no. Sure. It's do you want to do six or eight or, you know, you always ask an assumptive manner to get that sale. Right. Um, and it, it benefits the customer because if you just say, do you want to get those tables set now? And they say no. Now they're going to go shop around. Three days later, they still haven't found anything. They end up settling for something that they may not have liked as much. That is the that is the wildest thing because I, I oftentimes think about we are not as aggressive as we could be for the reach that we have for the quality that we provide and that happens so often to us because we don't close in that assumptive close right as often as we should yep and then that customer ends up you know we end up seeing them you know a week or two later and they got something that wasn't what we had even talked about they had settled elsewhere yes just because uh maybe we gave them too much choice maybe we Left it too open-ended, right? And it's never going to be a perfect scenario in that regard. But and, and with technology nowadays, they, they're they going to think about it and go, okay, well, I'll think about it. Not right now. And three days later, an ad pops up on their computer with a, a flash sale. Yes. That's really not actually benefiting them, but it's a flash sale. So yes. let's click it and it's done. It looks similar to what we talked about. It's not the same quality. It's not the same, uh, you know, material, whatever. Right. And yet, eh, you know what? That's close enough, and I saved 150 bucks. Yep. And and that's, you know, a challenge when, as the again, the experts of what we do, we know we can make them happy. Correct. Uh, in in this first option. Yes. So it's valuable to use these techniques because then the customer will be happier. We've recently had a customer come in, uh, you know, about a year later, and said, you know what, Neil, you were right. Uh, this part that I put on my Jeep is already rusting. We live in an area where that's, yep. you know, we're, we're part of the rust belt and we often try, oftentimes try to make offers to our customers that are based on things that we know are going to last and work well for their given situation. Again, yeah. meeting them where they're at and, you know, ultimately said to them, Hey, if you, if you, if you kind of cheap out here, this is a part that rusts pretty quickly. And they came back and said, yeah, you were right. We should have gone with that in the first place. Yep. And ultimately, that kind of comes back to my motivation of, uh, of either buy once, uh, cry once. You can say that. Or you can say, pay me now or pay me later. You always end up paying. Right. Yep. And that's that's that piece where if that customer would have spent the extra $250 initially, they would have had a part that was lasting them much longer than a year. Yeah. They wouldn't have had to pay for the part twice. Correct. Now, uh, the other thing with it is... When you deal with assumptive clo uh, closings, um, you're also always looking for the add-ons. Mm -hmm. You're going to assume that they want to get the additional pieces. Uh, what's important about that is if you always assume that they're going to get the additional pieces, 
eventually they're going to tell you no. Mm-hmm. But until they tell you no, you're yes. not done. Yes. I did it yesterday. I'll be honest with you. Again, we're talking to you folks or with you folks as consumers ourselves. Ourselves. This this isn't, you know, a big secret necessarily. Right. These are processes we put in place. But we are also as subject to them as you may be. I, I and, fell for it yesterday, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell that story in a minute, but go ahead. Well, and I, <laughs> I didn't fall for it. I upsold myself Yep. because I uh, had an opportunity to get something I've wanted for many, many years, and I wanted to make sure that it was going to last as, as best it can. Yep. So – I bought the first accessory that would kind of protect the outside and, and, and keep it safe in, in that process. And then I grabbed the uh, $10 uh, bottle of, of like basically like a conditioner to take care of something, you know, to take care of it. I bought a grill. There we, I didn't buy a grill. It was Father's Day. So yeah. I was gifted a grill. Yeah. And um, so I bought the grill cover was my first accessory. Yep. And then because of the nature of it. Uh, I needed a conditioner to condition the cast iron on it. And so there was a $10 bottle of conditioner. But right next to that, and I first picked that up and I was carrying around, all right, I made a, a financial choice here. And I thought, well, you know what? I really want uh, – I've had cast iron in the past. And so the certain – the material that you use to clean it mm-hmm. can be finicky. Yep. If there's a product that's kind of specifically engineered for it, I think I'd like to engage in that. So I went over and I looked at the uh, the scrubbers. Yep. They, they put me uh, at $10, $15. Uh, so I have a $10 conditioner and $10, $15 in scrubbers. And, and then they've got the $30 cleaning kit. And they had the $30 cleaning <laughs> prep and, and cover kit or whatever. And I thought, well, there we go. I upsold myself. I put back just the the, yep. the conditioner and I bought the, the full cleaning kit. Mm-hmm. And as a consumer, I reckon as a, as a person who loves customerology, I love what's happening here. Oh, yeah. As a consumer... I'm fully, you know, invested. I'm going, well, makes sense to me. You know what I mean? I, I'm not going to say no. And finally, the where I did say no was um, on the utensil kit. I uh, don't need that branded utensil kit. Yep. Right? And that's where I said no. But all those accessories lined up right there for the, you know, to add on to the grill transaction. And I, I upsold myself. Yeah. But then I said no, right? But there's somebody out there who would have been like, oh, you know what? You got the cover and the cleaning kit. I'm going to get the utensils for dad or yep. grandpa or mom or whoever, yeah. right? And they would have bought that accessory with that same transaction. Absolutely. Because that person said, no, 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 I, I, I've, reached, I've reached my limit. And they go, oh, you know what? 50 bucks for the utensil kit. I'll get that. That's I'll get that. And it still cashes out in the same transaction, yep. basically. Yep. And that's the beauty of that closing yeah. It doesn't have to be hard or negative or frustrating. I set my own boundary. Somebody else could have comped that or may still, you know. Yeah. And as a provider, we should be offering that to our customers because of that exact scenario. So my my story and I was at a fireworks store okay. yesterday okay. With, and I took uh, Kristen went with me. This is the first time she's ever got to go with me Yes. Uh, to help pick out the fireworks. So it was a unique experience for her. Uh, obviously, I've been doing this for years. I knew right where to go. I it is my... important, folks, that you're listening. Jeffrey is a former fireman. Don't forget about that. <laughs> and, and and is very skilled and versed. We're not exactly uh, encouraging you to go out there and blow your arms off. No. I, uh, there is a, a, a large 
level of safety measures that need to be taken uh, and precautions, and we follow through with a lot of that. I actually, uh, a gentleman that helps me with our show, uh, used to work for a, a professional fireworks company as sure, well. So we're, sure, and you've been putting on show for years, right? Yeah. So as we endeavor into this conversation, yeah, we're we won't talk about how many years at this That's point. Fine. But, That's uh, fine. That's so. Anyways, we're in there, and I had my coupons ready. I I I know the games that the fireworks stores play. They play so many games. So I had I had it all ready. I had it figured out in my head how we're stacking them. I already knew roughly which ones we were going to get. I was letting. Within the within the types that I wanted, I was letting Kristen pick some of them as well. We had a whole cart full. We were basically to our budget once you consider taxes, and we're heading out. And a lady stops us and goes, "Did you use or do you have all the coupons?" Yeah. Well, let me see. Sure. Okay. So I show her what coupons I had lined up and yes. and how I was going to. She's like, "Oh no, you're missing some coupons. Hang oh, on a yeah. second. Oh yeah. So she's like, "You you got to get these deals." And I'm like, "No, no, I, this is what I want." She's like. No, no, trust me, you, you need to do these deals. And Kristen's like, uh, we're kind of out of budget. She's like, trust me, you, it won't hurt your budget. Okay. You need to do this. Yeah. Okay, so we follow her over. She's like, all right, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. You need put five more cakes of fireworks into our cart. Okay. Shows me two different coupons. Yes. And goes, this is going to be, the, it's, you're only paying this much. You're getting all these fireworks. Yes. And I'm like, uh, well, hold on. And she's just, happening fast. she's just going. Yeah. Um, and this is a little old lady. It was hilarious. Yes. She totally played it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Right. So we go check out. We end up being about $70 over what we, w- we intended to spend. So not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Especially because we ended up with five more cakes of yeah. fireworks yeah. than we had an- anticipated buying. So we get out to the truck and I, I look at my wife and I'm like, she totally just hustled us. Yes, she did. She played us, and, and we fell victim to it. <laughs> and, and my wife's response proves why the assumptive close is so important. Yes. Her response was, yeah, but now we've got six more fireworks or five more fireworks than we did last year. So you grew the show like you wanted to. Yes. And I'm like, okay. That's it. That, that proves right there that is- why there's benefit in, in that assumptive. That lady didn't. Didn't tell me I, I was buying them. She assumed I was buying them. Yes. She said, You're, you'll love this one. You'll love this one. Here's the coupons. If you do all this, you'll save some money. Now, the thing is, she also did it. I, I, what I'm hearing you say is she did it from a, an authentic position. She saved us a ton of money. She did it from an authentic position. She understood the matrix. She understood. She was the expert of what she was doing, and she approached it, approached the process uh, genuinely and authentically. She said, I know that this can make you happy. And and that's literally what happened. And, and you are left going, well, I spend more money than I intended to. But I'm I still feel happy, yeah. right? And your wife is going. I feel good about that. But I just got hustled. Yeah. But I but I feel good. Yeah. And and so that is that is the process of the perception of choice and the customerology, the idea that yes, I I I kind of think I'm in control. But if that person who is the expert, and I've gone to the expert, I've gone somewhere right. to buy this product, and they presented themselves as the expert, and that they're going to uh, benefit me through their process. And I allow them to do that so long as my number one priority is not that hard dollar line. And that is very challenging yes. in uh, in as a service provider. If your customer has established a boundary, then you cannot cross that. That is the most valuable piece of this whole conversation to say, if that customer, I'm going to disagree, uh, you're going to say you're going to want to push it. I know you, Jeffrey. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. I'm going to say at an ownership level, if the customer has established 
a a a no go zone. You have to understand that as uh, as a foremost qualifier for this transaction. Now, I understand what you're about to bring to the table is the idea that sometimes their no go zone they don't actually know what it is. So and and. My point to that is, yes, you have to understand their boundary and you have to respect it. Yes. But you have to understand that they are also willing to spend a little more if it's for the right reason. Right. We had a firm budget. We had someone uh, basically paying for the firework display this year, sponsoring it essentially. Yes. And we had that budget. I spent my own money in addition to that budget because of that sale. Sure. And we're happy with it. Sure. So there is opportunity to increase that sale if it's done for the right reasons and the right way. And I'm going to tell you, we had the option to say no. Yes. We, we did. absolutely did. And we did. The the first guy that approached us in the store was trying to sell me on a bunch of stuff. And I was like, no, right. no, I, I don't need any of that. And the one thing they were trying to sell was a, it was a nine shot rack. And, and for anyone that knows fireworks, they would understand that. I'm not going to explain that in detail right now, but they were trying to sell me a nine shot rack. And I'm like, I, I'm buying the 115 shot cake mm-hmm. for the same price. Sure. I have a 12 rack at home that I put mortars in so I can do it at the same time for my finale. Mm-hmm. I said, the, the nine shot does not make sense for my purposes. Like, yes, but it's, is this a new one and it's got these extra colors sure, to he it? I didn't understand his I, customer. And I'm like, I, I understand what you're saying, but there's no value in that to me. Sure. Sure. So it, there was the option to say no. Sure. Now here's the, the, the piece of the scenario that I would talk about. I want to make sure that that this would be kind of the elephant in the room for me for you in this conversation. Let's say you had that hard boundary. I'm just going to make up numbers, yeah. right? And and let's say that it's, you know, 500 bucks, right? So your budget going in there was was $500, which we all know fireworks are way more expensive than that. Oh, so yeah. we can appreciate what Jeffrey and his family do for the people he's putting the show on for and thanks to the sponsor who's helping with that as as well. Yes. Well, let's call it that $500 cuz this is pertinent to any person who's listening to our program they've come in and they believe their boundary is five hundred dollars yes okay and they come in and and they make that perfectly clear that that is their boundary yes now they go through the upsell process that you experience and they end up spending five hundred and seventy dollars and they leave happy yes cool but on the way home they run past another fireworks tent display and it's buy 500, get 500 product free. Yep. And they drive past that and they go, oh, well, that seemed like a really good deal. I, I didn't get that. I, I got half and I spent $70 more. Well, oh, that's okay. You know what? I, I, I liked my experience. They were good enough. And they go good enough, right? And they move on to, yep. the, to their show. And now they get to their show three weeks later. And, the, you know, time has passed and, and uh, so on and so forth. Maybe you call back in and you go, hey, can I talk to that associate? Oh, that associate's not here. Uh, I, I, you know, maybe you had a question about launching one of these fireworks and yeah. you go, Oh, I, I want to talk to this. Oh, that associate's not here. They, they're actually uh, no longer with us. They, they moved away. Oh, that kind of stinks that yep. they, they, they help upsell all this stuff. And, and I wanted to know, you know, about this 10 shot rack or, or yeah. whatever. Right. Yeah. So the, again, it's not super negative experience. It's just kind of like a, I call them little pokes. Right. So first poke was I drove past what perceived to be as a better deal whether it was or not maybe they're not as quality of fireworks maybe you know who knows right right right. but the perception of a slightly better deal so that's a poke i call back in because i have a customer service question i like that associate and they're no longer there that's a poke and then i get to the the actual launch of my show and 
You have a dud. I have a dud. Or I have multiple duds. Yeah. Right? I have a bunch of duds. Yep. Okay. You know what? That's it. Third strike. I'm now mad as a consumer because you know what? I went in there and I only wanted to spend $500 and you upsold me. And then they didn't work. And then they didn't work. Yep. Right? And so that is, for our listeners, the, the, the importance of understanding an individual's boundary so that you can then do your utmost to control the customer experience Correct. from there. Control it with integrity. Yes. And, and Great comment. There. We'll, we'll get into another conversation eventually about the remorse buyer. Uh, because that is a thing. Yes. But we'll talk about that another time. Um, I, we've covered a lot, and I hope that people have found these conversations. We really talk specifically about perception of choice and the assumptive close. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, folks, again, we're covering customerology. And, and again, done from a position of authenticity, being a, a, a positive force. Uh, as a provider, yes. and that could be any aspect in the retail or or organizational environments, that these techniques will benefit your mission, your values, uh, and help the people who want to associate with you. Oh, yeah. And that is what's so critical. We are going to do my favorite part. We didn't talk about this in the beginning, so no. hopefully, uh, A, if you're a new listener, you've hung in with us this long. Uh, but B, if you are one of our returning listeners, A, we value you and we thank you for, for, for being with us. But this is my favorite part. So we'll transition and we'll come back for the quote of the week. Absolutely. And this is my world now. I actually have two quotes this week. The customer is not always right, but they are always the customer. Mm. And that's Shep Hyken. Uh, and, and this is because of the saying... You know, um, wrong or right, the customer is always right. Sure. That's not true. I disagree with that statement 100%. Interesting. The, yes. The customer can be wrong, mm-hmm. but they are still your customer. Yes. Yes. And I, I think it's valuable to differentiate because I will uh, I will follow this up with one of the phrases I, I always say is, it is our job to try and I want to say believe the customer, right? We want to support them in their process, in how they approach us. Yes. But they can – there is also – that's differentiated from right or wrong, the customer is always right, right? So I can I – can, I feel like I can say the easiest thing for us to do – and this is my phrase. The easiest thing we can, for us to do is to believe our customer. So if the customer comes in and says, hey, I have this noise. I have this shake, this shimmy. Uh, this dissatisfaction with this other, you know, uh, process from, you know, another business or my vehicle or whatever, then the easiest thing for me to do is, is to value that, to say, okay, I believe you. Yes. So then it's then our job to determine the extent of that and how valid that is. Correct. And so that, I believe that both things can be true. So when you're listening to this going, oh, well, no, you're telling me I'm wrong. No, no, no. We're not we're not saying that. But from our professional experience, this is not this does not sound right. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? And so uh, there's always the exception to the rule, but that does not mean that your perception will circle all the way back around to when we started. All those things that make you uniquely you up until this point, that your perception of the situation is all that exists. It is not reality. Yep. Perception is not reality. And I'm going to follow up with that and say that uh, in addition to just being that they could have something wrong with it, just their approach could be wrong. 
Yes. I cannot tell you how many customers I have literally hung up on. Yeah. And waited for them to call me back. Sure. Because if you approach me in a negative manner and don't give me a chance to talk or explain, I'm just going to hang up. And I'm going to let you calm down. We haven't done that at SFJ, just no, so our listeners understand. We, fortunately, we don't have that experience with customers here. We have a very different approach that, that does not always lend that. But throughout my career, there's you're always going to have a customer Something. somewhere that, that just immediately you get on the phone. Hey, this is Jeff. F this, bah, F bah, that, bah, 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 bah. you know, yep. all the all the language. And you're like, well, hold on, let me. And they just keep going and you can't get a word in. Click. <laughs> I'll wait for them to call back. Sure. They call back. Oftentimes, they're even more heated. Yes. They call back. Listen, I'm trying to help you, but if you're not going to let me talk, and if they keep going, click again. Yeah. And when they call back that third time, I can usually get through and, and, and have a civil conversation and make things right for that customer. Sure. But they can be wrong with the way they approach things. They can be wrong with the attitude. They could be wrong about the product. There's all these different things, and it's our job as the experts to... Make them feel satisfied by the end of it. Sure, sure. And then we not by just saying you're wrong, you're an idiot. Click. Correct. No, you don't do that. Right. There, and that's the thing. If you you have to listen to, to all that that Jeffrey's sharing, right? Because again, it's how he's approaching the situation and what his desired outcome will be. Oftentimes, I think here in our situation, when we have had a couple uh, dissatisfied customers, because it does happen, and it's oftentimes not exactly our fault but we are the service provider and so we're caught in the middle of it um that i will just i will i will use awkward silence yes i will just let that person run their route uh as as they you know fuss and moan and cuss and scream and do whatever and i will just follow up simply with what would you like me to do for you now if i want to trigger them I will say, how can I help you? Which we all recognize as a trigger. And I know that. But I will, if I want to authentically try and rectify a situation, I will just follow up after awkward silence and they quiet down with what is going to make this situation better. And see where they lead from that. If it's reasonable, then they have steered the ship into the reasonable remediation yes if it is unreasonable this is the right or wrong piece then i have to share with them why their request is unreasonable yep and that would then be back on on my plate as a provider and and oftentimes uh i've i've done that approach and you'll have the customer at that point go you're you tell me what you're going to do to make this right again that awkward silence make them spit something else out because yes ultimately no matter what you say to offer that customer in that situation is not going to be good enough. Sure. But what they present to you to make it right is often less than what you would, would have done. And you can, you can use that to benefit them more and go, you know what? I could give you $50 back. You're right. Why don't we just make it $100? Go get yourself a nice dinner out of it. We yeah. appreciate your business. And you take it that step further. Now that customer is even more satisfied. You know what? I'm excited to talk about this because I've got more points. I think we're going to need uh, – this is just going to be a topic. And I Absolutely. hope people, other people uh, will tune in for that. Obviously, we're always you know, having these conversations and brainstorming these topics. They just arrive organically because this will happen. If you are in business long enough – this will happen to you and how do you handle it? And I've had some interesting uh, situations like this. We don't have that same irate 
uh, frustrated customer at at this juncture. Right. But but certainly we have had people who are just unreasonable in their approach. And what do you do with that? So I love that idea. We'll have to talk about it because obviously we have those experiences. We can bring to people. And there is one more quote. Um, This quote, thank your thank your customer for complaining and mean it. Most will never bother to complain. They'll just walk away. And that's Marilyn Subtle. That, and that's fantastic to say that uh, we can't fix something if we don't know that it's wrong. Yep. And I always, I have always said that if you, if there is not somebody complaining or criticizing you, you're not doing enough. You're not big enough. You're not putting yourself out there. Yep. That if there is somebody complaining, criticizing, talking in some type of adverse manner, that means you're putting yourself out there. You're doing things in your community, in your mission, in your vision, right? And then you have to say you have to figure out whether or not that is a valid complaint. And then that's on you as an owner of your process. Yes. That is that is cool stuff. The biggest thing is if you're on the defense when a customer comes in to complain, you're doing it wrong. Yes. You should be accepting of their complaint and then, like you said, working to validate it. Yeah, absolutely. Folks, this was a, a big one. There was lots and lots and lots of information chalked into this conversation. We have a couple organic conversations that can happen in the future. We want you to be a part of this. We want you to reach out to us on our text only number, 440-855-2100. Again, that's 855-2100. Or you can email directly Jeff, the producer, at J-E-F-F-C at sfj4x4.com. We want you to weigh in on these conversations, suggest a topic, be part of the conversation with us as we utilize our 40 years of combined experience in the retail and social sectors to bring to you a new age conversation on leadership and entrepreneurship and just being a good person in the world we live in. Until then, get hungry. And stay hungry. And this is my The American dream is not dead. We want to help you along the way. With over 40 years of combined leadership experience, we want to help you succeed. Share your stories, ask us questions, and believe in the American dream. Through heart and hustle, we will show you the path of success and hopefully have a little fun along the way. You can email us at jeffc at sfj4x4.com or text us at 440-855-2100. Until next time, lead with your heart and keep hustling.